Masters Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Instacart workers on strike and a beloved bookstore rehires its workers. But first, the coronavirus hits home. As of this morning, over 741,000 people around the world have tested positive for COVID-19, including more than 143,000 in the United States. We are now sadly the world leader in infections, depending on whether or not you believe China's statistics, and also the country where the virus is now spreading the most. And among the Americans to have become infected is somebody very close to us here at Axios, our co-founder and president, Roy Schwartz. He began feeling sick a couple of weeks ago, is now largely recovered, and agreed to share with us his story of unusual symptoms, face mask shortages, hospital doctors who communicate via telephone, and the complications of quarantining with a family. So I am pleased to be joined by Roy Schwartz from his home in Virginia. Let's start, I guess, with the beginning here. When did you realize that you might be sick or that something might be wrong? Sure. And thanks for having me on, Dan. I really appreciate it. Started over the weekend of March 15th, I started to feel what most people would think of like traditional flu, like my body was aching. I've had hot and cold flushes and I started to get like really bad headaches. And that lasted sometime on Saturday, definitely into Sunday. And then by Monday, I was really feeling bad. So basically like bedridden and then um, called the doctor and then went into the doctor on Wednesday and thought that I would have the flu. They tested me for the regular flu. I tested negative. And then the doctor said, well, let's test you for COVID-19. Why did you think you had the regular flu as opposed to COVID-19 at that point? I had no fever. I wasn't coughing. And while my body aches and the Hong Kong flushes were really severe, you know, I've had the flu before and I felt that feeling before. But then over like the next few days, like after I took the test, the worst part was waiting for the test results. How long was that between the test? I took the test Wednesday. They said it was going to take four or five days. And I kept pinging my doctor and they ended up saying that the testing is taking a lot longer and it ended up taking eight days. I didn't hear back till the following Thursday afternoon that I tested positive. So at that point, you know, it had been a full eight days. I'd already been even to the hospital at that point because it got really bad. So the entire time, I didn't have a cough. I didn't have a fever. I had extreme body aches, extreme chills, really bad headaches, probably the worst headaches I've ever had in my life. And then I started to experience shortness of breath. And that's when I went to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, went to the emergency room. And that was very interesting because they tried to do everything by phone. So you arrive there, there's sort of a guard at the front. They ask you why you're there. I explained I was there because I thought I had COVID-19. I'd been tested, but I don't have the results. They then said, okay, go to that corner as far away from everyone else as you can. They did not have any masks to give me. And they pulled me into a room and gave me some basic vitals, like check my blood pressure and so forth. But nobody spent more than a couple of minutes with me. And then they would call me and they would ask me for my history. So they did a lot of it by phone. And so I was on the phone with the doctor probably for 15 minutes before they even came in to inspect me. And then they did x-rays and basic stuff. When you were there inside the hospital, did you get any sense, you know, you talked about how you didn't get a mask. Did you hear or overhear anything about shortages of supplies, et cetera, or was it just something you sensed? I asked them about a mask and they said, well, we, we're saving those 
don't have enough supplies. They were outfitted in basic stuff. So they had a basic mask on and a head cover. They were not covered like you see some of the people on TV being covered up. It was very light. Can I ask, Roy, when you originally went to your doctor and you thought it was the flu, did he have a mask? Did you have a mask at that point or were people not protected then? Because you walked in with COVID, even though thinking it was something else. They had assumed that it was COVID. So when they set my appointment, they said, you got to come in at exactly this time. We're going to have someone at the front. They're going to put you straight into a room and we're going to give you the test and we're going to have you in and out in 15 minutes. And that's what they did. I didn't even touch a doorway. So I walked in. They walked me straight into a room. They gave me the test for the flu and they gave me the test for COVID at the same time. And I was out of there in 15 minutes. I guess they're treating everyone who had flu symptoms as suspected COVID-19. You talk about you go home, you've gotten the COVID test, you end up having to wait eight days to find out whether it's that or not. But what you know is you're sick. You've got a wife at home, you've got kids at home. Talk to me a little bit about that experience because you're trying to quarantine yourself from possibly getting them sick, but at the same time, you're living under the same roof. It's so difficult. This is the toughest part. I don't know how anyone does it. So I was basically in the bedroom the entire time, but the problem had been that I'd been sick for a few days and had been around my kids. I'd been around my wife. I'd been around her parents. And a few days after I got sick, Kelly started to get sick. And Kelly's your wife? Yes. She now has it. She's pretty sick. She is coughing. She doesn't have a fever, but she's coughing. Her parents are sick. So it moves really quickly. And the problem was I didn't know I had it, right? So there was a few days where I just thought, oh, maybe I'm just, I have a cold or I have the flu. And that's when I got other people sick. During the experience, were you consistently ill every day? I mean, or did it, was it kind of like good days and worse days and then good days and bad days? Good days and bad days. So it was, um, there were a few days where I felt really good. And there were some days where I could not get out of bed at all. I, like I never left the bed. And there were some days where I felt great in the morning. I remember even the first time I started rejoining some work calls. The morning, I think it was like a Thursday morning, I felt good enough to get on the calls. You know, everyone was like, oh, you're back. And then by like noon, I was like in bed, couldn't lift my head and didn't look at a phone again for probably three days. How are you feeling now? So it's interesting. It's been 14 days. Now I feel fine. Yesterday was the first day I felt good, and today is the first day I feel completely normal. Given that you feel that way now, what have doctors told you about, say, being able to go out or go to a store to be able to get supplies, you know, for your wife and family and kids? Well, this this part's interesting. So I got a call yesterday from Arlington County, which is where I live, and because I tested positive, they got notified. Of course, they only got notified on Thursday. They're calling me Sunday. But I'm, I'm already recovered at this point. But they're calling me and asking what my symptoms are, asking who I've interacted with, trying to do the uh, contact tracing, and sent me an isolation agreement. So basically saying that I'm going to isolate myself, you know, until they decide that I can go out of isolation. Basically, I have to sign this document that I will self-isolate. And then I ask them, well, when do you think I'll be able to go out? Or, you know, how does immunity work and those things? And they said someone would contact me with that information. Final piece of this then is, given as you said that your wife is sick, you're not allowed to leave the house. What are you doing in terms of, say, getting food? If you guys need food or there's some sort of supply you don't have, you're just ordering it and having it dropped off? We're ordering it, having it dropped off. We don't open the door. We leave it outside until the person's gone. And then we grab it and try and clean things off the best we can. It's really difficult, especially with kids. It's really difficult. The fact that my kids are symptom-free is the one silver lining on this. 
Roy Schwartz, thank you very much for joining us. I hope that Kelly and her parents get better soon. But again, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk us through what you've gone through over the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing with your audience. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Instacart, the on-demand grocery delivery service that has become a lifeline for those either unable or unwilling to leave their homes. Today, a group of Instacart workers is planning to strike, arguing that they need better pay, better benefits, and more safety products. It's unclear just how many workers will stay home, although few expect the strike will have too much impact on service, particularly given the large number of new Instacart workers coming online each day, including folks recently laid off or furloughed from other jobs. As I wrote this morning in the Pro Rata newsletter, both sides here sincerely believe they are doing the right thing in the midst of a quickly evolving natural disaster. The organizers want workers to be safe and also are using the crisis to boost wages after years of having little to no leverage. Instacart, while it was among the earliest to implement sick pay for those with the virus, was early with contactless drop-off, and is trying to move new logistical mountains daily, including everything from revised traffic patterns to new CDC safety guidelines, and it has contracted with a small company in Louisiana to get hand sanitizer to all of its shoppers. But the bottom line here is that Instacart has suddenly and unexpectedly become America's most vital gig economy company after years of sitting in the shadows of fellow gig economy unicorns like Uber and DoorDash. And with greater profile comes greater pressure. And finally, some good news. Howells, the legendary Portland, Oregon bookstore, announced over the weekend that it has rehired over 100 employees who had been let go earlier in the outbreak. Not because the store itself has reopened its doors, but because of a surge in online book sales through its Powells.com site. Not only is this great for Powells, but also for the authors and publishers who are currently unable to sell or market their books in physical locations. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national turkey next soup day and we'll be back tomorrow with another pro rata podcast